Berserker Cast, episode number 22, Falling Skies, season 5, episode 7. Everybody has their reasons. This is Drew Roy, also known as Hal Mason on Falling Skies. You're listening to the Berserker Cast on Golden Spiral Media. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to Falling Skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Welcome. Greetings. Howdy, y'all. Greetings, Earthlings. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Berserker Cast, a fan podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. Have you been out playing soccer? I have. You look like no, you have a soccer really. jersey on. It is a soccer jersey. It's from Tunisia. Is that where you went to play soccer? No. I could not get there and back in time for this podcast. And we all know that we have to talk about this episode. Well, see, that's where you so, need a portal. If you had a magical mystery like a frozen donkey wheel that could like zap you over to Tunisia, then you could do that and then yeah, find your I way see back. Where you're going with this. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. If only I had a frozen donkey wheel. Mm-hmm. Darn. Yeah. Well, they sell those on eBay? Uh, I think they actually do, but you have to, it's one of those specialty auctions. You kind of have to get pre-approved before you can bid. So work on that and then get Lame. yourself a frozen donkey wheel. Well, I don't know about you, Daryl, but everybody does have their reasons. And <laughs> the writers and producers of Falling Skies must have a reason for this episode because that's the only explanation I can come up with <laughs> after watching this episode a grueling twice. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because I almost let in with something very similar to that. Basically, everybody has their reasons for liking an episode or not liking an episode. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in to find out how we felt about this one. So, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, before we get started with our ratings, uh, the, the Matt Earl Beasley directed this episode. Uh-huh. And I was, I was actually paying close attention to the writers and directors this week because just like curious as to are they bringing on new people at this stage in the game or are they trying to use people who have done this or similar things before and i actually knew the name matt earl beasley because he directed one of my favorite episodes of prison break from season Mm -hmm. one cute poison and and i mean you know i think he did a great job it was well directed it was just I'm not sure if we can say poorly written because it wasn't also poorly written. It's just poorly timed maybe in the season. Yeah, I think series. that's it for me. And you you have a, a great synopsis uh, of the episode, a.k.a. comparison to an episode that happened earlier in this series. And I, th- I think that's it. I mean, it, the, the timing of it is suspect. Even with the final episode of or final scene of the episode, the the whole episode seemed out of out of place um, mm-hmm. again as we've said so many times this season 
we don't have the privilege of looking back on a completed narrative. We are in Mm -hmm. the midst of the narrative and we're totally going, what the fringe, right? So Mm -hmm. we'll see how we feel about this episode after we finish uh-huh. the next three. Um, but for right now, I think Emily and I, you know, we, we were talking in the pre-show last week, I was down on the episode. You were up and you were able to kind of bring some a positive spin to the episode. The previous week you were down on the episode. I was up on it and I was able to bring a positive spin to that episode. This week is going to be a little bit challenging. We are not going to sit here and just rip the, the episode to shreds. That's not what we do. That's not what we're about. Uh, we're going to have some discussion about it and uh, it's, it's probably going to be, more toward the negative than we would normally have simply because we were both disappointed in this episode. But yeah, it, it's a little bit frustrating and, and I guess we'll have to render our full final judgment after the season is over. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of thinking that we'll, after Dragon Con, because I think the last episode of the series airs like the week of that we leave for Dragon Con. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I, think we'll, I think we'll wrap up before we actually head out the door for Dragon okay. Con. So after Dragon Con, maybe like two weeks, we need to have like a follow-up finale podcast where we reflect on the whole season and go back and not not necessarily find reasons to like episodes like this, but at least to justify where they are in this and then do a true assessment of was this actually a good episode for where it was mm-hmm. or did they drop the ball here? I think that would be at least useful to me, not only just as a podcaster, but as a fan of this show for five years. Right. <laughs> I don't wanna I don't wanna leave this season or yeah, leave the season, leave the series going what a waste of time, especially when it's the end. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the chat room here for the live show, Mickey and OKC is bringing up a, a really good uh, possible storyline for for next week, maybe even. So it's something I meant to put in our notes because I was thinking about that at some point during my rewatch and I didn't. So I'm going to put that in there. Um, okay. And I will during, finish up probably telling for the, everybody about this the episode here. Okay. How about that? This okay. Good. So this, episode was written by Ryan Motsherd, and from what I could find out, he hasn't done a whole lot of writing at all. I, I'm i pretty sure that was this guy. Uh, guest stars. All right, so we had Jan Levison Gould in this episode portraying Captain Katie Marshall, mm-hmm. who is her character from The Office. Did you ever watch The Office? I've seen The Office a handful of times. I've, I never watched it you know, enough to know what any of the character names are or anything like that. Because I watched it so much that I couldn't see anyone but Jan Levinson Gould (laughs) in this character. It was very hard. But her her actual, uh, the actress's name is Melora Harden. And she portrayed the Captain Katie Marshall. I think I said that. And then we also had Darren Herbert as Lieutenant Demarcus Wolfe. Yeah, he was, was he the and jerky guy? That's all the names I grabbed. The Sorry. guy that, was he the jerky guy that pulled the spikes out of Ben? Nope. He was the guy uh monitoring the communications okay. and he like he and Hal had that conversation about mm-hmm. I didn't know what the Mason militias were until now. Right. Okay. Okay. Yep. I, I figured he was one of those two, but I wasn't sure which so. Okay. 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 All right, Daryl, what was your rating? (laughs) I was about to ask you. I just changed my rating, uh, not the score, but, but what I had, I had it listed as gin joints and I changed it as we were kind of talking about the episode during, during our discussion just now. I I went ahead and changed it to four Lando plot lines. What is a Lando plot line? Well, you remember in the Empire Strikes Back, 
it turned out that Lando had double crossed them, right? Oh, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was because Vader had gotten there first. Do you know how long it's been since I've seen that movie? Are you, are you, are you serious right now? It's, you my, it's it might have been over 15 years <laughs> they were in cloud city Pinker. they get there lando's like hot old buddy you know you're taking care of the william falcon and you stole it from me in the poker match or whatever it was and then it, they he leads them in for for food and boom there's darth vader a double cross from lando because darth vader had beaten them to cloud city and it was all a trap okay. that's what we had here We'll talk about the, the last scene when we get to the last scene in the discussion, but that's what we had here. It's a double cross because <laughs> okay, the, no, I see the Overlord that. I, got I have first. to watch all those movies over again because Clearly. there'll be one coming out. So you, yeah, you need I to be ready for episode seven. Means. You need to be ready. Yep. I also gave it four and I called them improperly removed spikes. Mm-hmm. And I actually was very purposeful about where the points came from, which I will point out along yeah. the way, but <laughs> you it only gets a four from me. If the Ashveni at the end is controlling Captain Marshall, if it, if he's not controlling her and, or not like directly controlling her and she's just being influenced some abstract way, then mm-hmm. I'm bumping it back down to a three. <laughs> okay. So, I don't yeah. have like a very specific reason why I gave it a four other okay. than this was probably my least favorite episode of this entire series. This is three questionable episodes in a row. It's really hard for me to go below a six. I said last week, look, I've got to be watching an episode of the bachelor or some other garbage before I'll even give it like a two or something like that. So for me to give it a four, pretty bad stuff. See, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that it, like everything of it was terrible. I, I think somebody was saying in the chat room, you know, if this was, if this was just a random episode in some other season, not the final season, there's a lot of great drama in this, in this episode. You, I, there were a lot of <laughs> moments where I was just writhing going like, you know, like as they're pulling out Ben's spike mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. uh, really action packed sequences with, with Ben's, I think that's like his first real fight scene where we get to see him exercise the extent of his abilities. And then later on, Maggie, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there was plenty of drama and cringeworthy yep. moments where yep. you're like, you're, you're, your heart is actually pumping. But just just knowing the how how this episode is encapsulated in the season and how all of the elements are, in you know, obviously going to play into the next episode are just like, I'm just pounding my head going, how can we still be here doing the same thing as we have done every single season? <laughs> if, you know, if, if this wasn't a history show, <laughs> history is repeating itself <laughs> in, in closer eras than we. My <sighs> wife and I, uh, so Carrie didn't feel like cooking anything last night, right? She says, hey, uh, I got a little extra money. Do you want to go grab some some dinner tonight? I'm like, Sure. What are our options? So we talk about options. We end up at Sonic because we always end up at Sonic. <laughs> and we're, so she's like, well, I don't, I don't even remember how the conversation got on the falling skies, but it did. And I was, does she watch? I forget. No, she, we watched season one together, but I don't think she's watched since then. She might have okay. watched part of season two, but 
we I start talking to her and kind of stepping through this season and I'm like, you know, they were going to go on the offensive, you know, and they got the the power grid down and then the skitters came. And then they ran out of food. And I start kind of talking about and and they went to get food and they got captured and then they got freed from that. And then they leave the camp and then they get captured and then they get freed from that. And then uh, Tom gets captured and then he gets freed from that. And I, and I, so I, I gave her more detail because she didn't know anything. And then I said, and that gets us to this week. And she says, please don't tell me they got captured again. <laughs> I said, well, I wish well, I had the better news is that for you. They weren't captured. They were lulled into a false sense of security by people who should, by all accounts, be their allies. Yes. Yes. That's true. But still, they're captured. Yes. Oh, they're, they're definitely captured by the middle of the episode. Yes. <laughs> as yes. soon as they attack Ben, I would say they're officially. So at what point captured. did you realize this is not going to go down well for our, for the second mass? Well, in hindsight, you know, as I think it was around the point where that guy, um, wants to touch Ben spikes. Uh-huh. You know, I, w- yeah. I was starting to think back on the episode and going, okay, what is going to happen with this? And I realized that I really should have known that everything was going to go downhill from the time when they had like five men hiding in the ground, practically, you know, covered in their yeah. Wookiee costumes. Yeah, yeah. Like, I should have known then that if you can allocate that many people to just guarding your perimeter in that way something isn't right. Yeah. You know, I think I read it the same way you did. I mean, I was a little bit uh, first up my, on my first watch, I was, I was working on um, a, a design project and I look at the clock and it was nine Oh three and I'm like, Oh crap. So I turned it on and I was, so I missed so I, I stream it on mm. the other website. So I was good. Like Weaver and, um, Marshall were already talking inside the inside the compound where he was saying she said you're the commanding officer and he gave it back to her. I think that oh, okay. was the first line I saw on my first watch. So okay. how they got to that point I missed until I rewatched. So I can't say that I would have picked it up before that point, you know, had I had I not seen had, had I seen that. But yeah, it was that point where Ben the guy starts taunting Ben a little bit that I was like, "Oh, this is not going to go well." You know, right? Yeah, um, you've got a great little bit here in our notes about how this episode compared to really season two, and I think that this will help illustrate some of the issues that we had. Um, it wasn't that we didn't like the episode; it was the placement of the episode. So, can you kind of walk through all the little parallels that you had there with with this? Absolutely. And season two. Well, okay. So it first struck me when. When Tom gave Matt democracy in America, which we can talk about later. But, okay, let's go back to season two for a sec. You know, um, same kind of thing happened in that season where there's a long journey of getting captured and all these setbacks to actually get to Charleston. And when they get to Charleston, they find this base of people who have survived just mm-hmm. like they have. Mm-hmm. But instead of being external, these people are focused inward. They're, they're trying to maintain stability. They are feeding each other, helping each other out. And they're working on rebuilding the core of America so that, you know, there's something left over when the war is over, but how they assume the war will ever end when they're not being part of the fight. That was everybody's question. So 
put yourself back into Charleston for a second. So here are my observations. Okay. Uh, th- these are these are the parallels to what happened in this episode. Okay, back in season two, Tom came into the camp and immediately knew Arthur Manchester from a previous life, who was portrayed by Terry O'Quinn, if you John remember. Uh, now, in this <laughs> scenario, Weaver knows Captain Mitchell from a past life. And both of them, by making allowances for these people, have cost the second mass dearly. Okay, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in both situations, oh, I think I was mentioning this before, uh, fo- the focus on the base is inward. So just like at Charleston, everybody was focused on keeping everybody safe, uh, getting three square meals a day and reestablishing America. That's kind of what what's happening in this naval base. Let's see, it was called the Joint Expeditionary Naval Base. Right. So in the, so at this naval base, we have. I think one of the characters even said it at some point, just like uh, until Captain Marshall took over, there was no stability, and she's she's focused on you know getting us back on course. Mm-hmm. So there and and at at some point, one of the uh, one of the soldiers even says that they were out hunting human collaborators. Right. So even more so, they're they're actively not doing anything for the war it's so ironic okay anyway back in uh back in season two the second mass was allying themselves with the rebel skitters and the and charleston was so skeptical of this Mm -hmm. obviously for for very good reasons uh and now now the humans are allying themselves with the volm (laughs) and Captain Marshall is very suspicious of that as well. You know, and I think that's a valid point, particularly since they they mentioned that the Volm were taking people against their will to Brazil, which is something that mm-hmm. you know we 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 lived that last season, and we know what we we know the full story, and so I think we could just kind of shrug that off and didn't really think about it anymore. But it it was a valid mm-hmm. point to to see what other people who weren't in on those conversations who didn't know, which is basically everybody else in the world uh, right. of what, what happened and why they were being taken to Brazil and, and all that stuff. So, you know, I think it's a valid huh. point that they were very skeptical of the Volm. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that it's, I mean, the, there's no problem with the skepticism. Right, I mean, right. a healthy dose of skepticism never hurt anyone. I think the point is just how similar the situations exactly. are. That's At least right. that was for me. But yep. no, yeah, I very took good it as point. That. I just, you know, I how, how did that. these people avoid getting shipped off to Brazil then? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Okay. I, I think there's a lot of, now that you say that, it, it, it brings to mind the fact that there are so many other, you know, un- or directionless militias mm-hmm. across the world. <laughs> but if the Volm was... Shipping everybody off to Brazil, wouldn't all those militias be in Brazil right now? Well, I think you can make a, an argument for a, a militia here or there that got overlooked or something, but I don't know that but you. But the could, only way that we know of those militias are because of the Volm. I know you're right, but okay. and, and maybe the Volm have maybe they didn't, they weren't thorough, or maybe they got called away. I don't know, right? It is it's sure. weird, but. But I don't think, even with all the exceptions you could think of of why there all these militias could still exist, um, escaping Volm eyeballs, if you will, this is a military base in a very well-populated area of the world, uh, just outside of D.C. a little ways. So, um, 
I don't know. I don't. When you say why aren't these people in Brazil, I don't have a, any explanation for that. Oh, Daryl, you're supposed to have these answers. Yeah, I wish you hadn't asked it. I mean, we're ready to three now. <laughs> you know, I think may, maybe one ex- explanation could be that when uh, when the second mass actually brought the Ashveni worship down, maybe the people who were en route were just allowed to go back to where they were because maybe none of those expeditions had been completed yet or something, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we don't know, so I'll stop trying to figure that out. Okay, uh, let's see. Another one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Bressler locks up Manchester and declares martial law. <laughs> you remember that happening? Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. went kind of downhill for the second mass and Charleston at that point. And now it seems like, I mean, it's it's ironic that the character we're introduced to first is Captain Marshall because it's like martial law has mm-hmm. been taken over on this base. There is no democracy is pretty much what we're seeing. It's, it's a dictatorship or it's not a dictatorship. It's martial law. She's in charge. Okay. Last point. Uh, Manchester gave Tom the fictional nonfiction book from darkness democracy. It was the book that Arthur Manchester had written. And I remember trying to find the book so that I could read it a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. Oh, is that right? It's not a real. It's a, oh, the, it's you say fictional, it's non-fiction. a fictional nonfiction book. <laughs> I see. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. And uh, and now, so in, in in the previous episode, Tom was uh, given Democracy in America by the woman at the farm, and now Tom gives it to Matt. And that is a real book. And that is a real book. That is a real book. In fact, <clears throat> I have it right here for you us. Sure do. That is. <laughs> Look at you. Now, did you already have that laying around or did you go to the library and pick it up this week? Oh, no, I I have it. I, I read it, oh, man, like 12 years ago. <laughs> Such a book nerd. I so love that. About I you. had to really dig down deep <laughs> for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. Okay. That's so cool anyway, that you had that on hand. Do you, anything else that comes to mind? Uh, similarities to Charleston? No, I'm so glad you you went through all those steps because I was definitely remembering that this felt really familiar and I knew exactly why, but the the exact parallels that you brought up are really well well, um, taken and and worth pointing out. And it was an interesting turn of events in season two, but here we are in season five, three episodes left before the end of this series. And like I said earlier, even though we got that final scene, it's still like, really? Are we, are we really wasting time? Right. And, 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 you know, throughout the episode, Tom is like, are, are we doing this? Are we wasting our time? Are we going <laughs> to, are we going to have this kangaroo court? Are we really not going to work together here? Is this really the best thing? We've got a war here. And is this, and I, I, I think like, the, I feel like the writers put all that crap in there because, they were, it was like what we were saying, uh, what I was saying as I was watching it. I'm like, yeah, you tell him, Tom, why are we having to watch this crap? Right. So, <laughs> uh, and that's the thing. I mean, it was like, we should be well beyond this. This is, this shouldn't be what I'm watching here with, with three episodes to go before the end. Right. Right. And, and like we were saying before, it, it was excellent drama, but the placement is just, it's just not working for me. Cause I'm trying to remember now and I, after all of that work I did to look back on the Charleston, I can't remember what the climax of that finale was. Was that when the Volm came 
at the end of season two. Yeah. I think. Yeah, remember the the little the little thing comes flying out of the yep. sky and boom. I just, I'm getting all of the season finales mixed up right yeah. now. Well, I thought this. Okay, so I thought Charleston was, was season there, three. Was there a major battle Sorry. that happened at the end of that episode? Um. Or not at the end of the episode, but at the end of the season, because they were allying with the rebel skitters mm-hmm. to do something. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay. Because like the difference in how we can consume this drama is so dramatically different when you when you're at the end of a season and you've overcome all of these obstacles and then you find people who want to reestablish America and you're like this is it. We have a way to rebuild. And that and I and I don't remember having a problem with that at the end of season two. But here, while we're trying to get to the end of defeating the enemy and actually sending them off for good, mm-hmm. this is just not the right time or the place to have this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the things we did like. How's that? Hey, that's a good idea. And I, you know, you put this in there. I wouldn't have. I hadn't, I didn't even notice it until you put it in there. <laughs> Maggie got some okay, new leather my, pants. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Maggie somehow found a brand new pair of leather pants. <laughs> All of them cleaned pretty up pretty nicely. Too. You know, Tom got cleaned up last week, but the rest of yep. the folks got cleaned up this week. Yeah, everybody got a shower for the first time in hmm, a year, maybe. Yeah, a shower, a shave, a Water. haircut, a new change of clothes. You know, maybe maybe Marty even packed Weaver some new underwear. Oh, maybe. He didn't have to pack his ponytail holder anymore because <laughs> Weaver got a haircut. Yeah. I didn't notice oh, that until I saw your note. So he got a full nice. haircut. Man, oh. ponytail gone. <laughs> snip, snip, snip. Yeah. We've all done it. I haven't. <laughs> Never had a, had a okay so my my first point of my three <laughs> yes. was weaver's haircut yes because it was actually that exciting you to gave me. him a, you gave the show a full point for weaver getting a haircut yep did you not like the ponytail that much or did you just like the new look that much Both? i i did not feel like a ponytail fit his character at all yeah and it was so gross Okay. Was, was I mean, it because I, he's military? I, okay, I like long hair on men. I mean, I'm practically in love with, you know, Fabio and <laughs> Clay Matthews. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but I wasn't kidding about Clay Matthews. There it is. Anyway. <laughs> the cheese, the, the king cheese, Clay Matthews. The king cheese. Long hair. Yeah, but no. No, okay. I mean, I, I don't have a problem uh-huh. with long hair. It was just, it's so gross when you don't need to have long hair uh-huh. and yeah anyway okay okay okay. so that's my only point i don't have to belabor that very much what else did you like i I don't want to i don't want to bring up my next two points yet let's let's give that some space Uh, my next two points came from Anne getting to be a real doctor and use maggots and crap like that that was pretty dang awesome and i think that was probably the most solid those were the most solid scenes of the show or of the episode i should say because because it was just Anne being Anne and doing what she does and in 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 the midst of everything you know she's always caring about the person and trying to heal the person in spite of everything else going on so mm-hmm. that seemed very solid to me i love the fact that they they barely even get settled in they're not even settled in 
and she's off to the sick bay to see what she can do. You're right. That's a very Anne thing to do. Right. Um, I found it extremely peculiar that they seem to have no shortage of food and I, you can, you can farm stuff. Okay. That's fine. No shortage of clean clothes. My goodness. Those, all those uniforms looked like they had just been taken out of their, their cellophane packaging. Um, but very little medical supplies, uh, at least in the, in the way of painkillers and, and some things like that. So I don't want to read too much into that, but I, just, I thought it was peculiar, but well, I'm with it you is and it bit. isn't because it's so enlightening to see that these people are definitely not part of the war if they don't have these kinds of medical supplies, because how are they going to patch themselves up afterward? Right. Right. I mean, that was like the first thing that the second mass looked for every place I went. We need medical supplies. We need food. Yeah. And that's exactly the way I read it. I mean, th- they have had some injuries. Obviously, uh, Marshall had an injury. The man that, that Anne was working on had an injury. Mm-hmm. But but you're right. If, if Because we've seen that time and time again with the second mass. They, they don't have a shortage of medical supplies because even if it's makeshift medical supplies, because they, they know that that's a priority in order to keep yep. themselves alive. Yep. So I thought that was the biggest tell on why they didn't have medical supplies. Yeah. Okay. What else did you Absolutely. like? Okay. And finally, my third point comes from Maggie's fight scene. That was pretty No awesome. spikes. Yeah. This was raw Maggie. And, and, you know, last week, the, my Twitter poll question was, is Maggie going to soon regret having her spikes removed? And I think this scene really shows that she is not. She's back in control of herself again. Maybe it won't last, but, you know, at least for now, she, it did not look like she needed spikes to accomplish that. I think the thing that bugged me most about that scene was that Isabella seemed like, she needed completely she needed helpless rescuing and she, she, look the guy had the upper hand on her he was bigger stronger had a knife i totally get that but then once maggie starts in whooping his tail isabella just kind of stood there like like a damsel in distress waiting for maggie to k- finish kicking his butt and then kind of at the very end i think maybe joined in just a tad but would you want to get little, in maggie's way no i would want to jump in there <laughs> alongside her so i it, 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 not really that big of a deal. I was just surprised by how weak they made, yeah. made Isabella seem when he, we had seen her be quite the opposite when we first met her. Right. That That is a really good point. Uh, you know, she does seem she was more resourceful than combative mm-hmm. in in her intro scene. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting. That's an interesting point. But I, I saw um, Sarah Carter, who portrays Maggie, mm-hmm. tweet out a photo of her and the actress who plays Isabella with uh, they're just like both holding guns. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited for this team up and I, and I do yeah. hope like you said, you know that they'll, well, they'll, they'll give liked, Isabella more of a chance to shine. I thought Maggie was so good in this episode. She showed maturity for her previous um, decisions and the ways that she had treated Hal. She didn't try to, to, to hold it in his face when, when he was kind of, 
you know, it was clear that there was some awkwardness between his, him and Isabel in the last episode. And, and even here where she's like, look, we're going to need each other. She wasn't going to let any of that, those petty things get in the way of, of really what they need, which is each other to, to get where they need to go. So, um, Maggie is that was, the conclusion they came to. Well, she's, are you talking about Hal and Isabella? No, I'm talking about Maggie and Isabella. When, when Maggie, oh, it, it sorry. Okay. I thought you butt. were talking about Maggie and Hal for some well, reason. I blended them together. Okay. I was kind of, I was just kind of talking about all the things that I liked about Maggie in this episode. Not only okay. did she kick butt, but she showed maturity with Hal and, and with Isabella. And, um, I just, I just, I thought it was really a really good episode for her. Yeah. Yeah. Very strong. <laughs> she had some, she was really moody in this episode. It seemed like she was. more than even with the spikes. Yeah. Snapping at everybody. Yeah. And the hood drawn low. All right. How about you? What did you like about the episode? Uh, I liked the Ben fight scene. You mentioned it oh, earlier. Yeah. That was really good. The guy had to tase him to get him down, which, you know, that's fine. I mean, I, I didn't think that was unreasonable. Right. Uh, man, when, when Ben was getting his spikes removed or the spike removed, that was like both times I watched it, I realized I looked down and like my hand is like gripping <laughs> and I'm like, cause it was just, I could just feel it. I felt so bad for him. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was hard. Um, you think that's going to have any residual effects losing one? It's hard to sure. say because he did just lose the one, but the way in which he lost it was very traumatic. Didn't have the Volm mm-hmm. technology, which we know has allowed them to be removed without negative repercussions. You know, whereas in the past when they tried to remove spikes, it killed people. So. Yep. But because he has the remaining spikes, maybe that they'll heal any damage mm-hmm. that was done by the one being That's removed. That's a good point. Because we he he already lost a couple. He gave some to right, Maggie, but right. like you said, removed with the Volm device. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that one fewer is going to hinder him, but the manner in which it was removed might have yeah. a negative effect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, other than what you already mentioned, those are really the things that... Um, that stuck out to me as, as positive notes with, with this episode, you know, Tom in particular, I thought was really out of line and not as smart as he normally is. For example, when he realizes they have Ben and they're accusing him of being a traitor, he doesn't try to defend Ben. Well, he does, but he does so by saying, well, if you think Ben's a, a traitor or being compromised, I've done this, this, and this, and this. I'm like, Really? That's that's your best defense is by incriminating yourself, at least in their eyes, right? <laughs> I thought that was really stupid, very untom like. Um so that that bugged me. And even uh, not as much during the during the court martial because I think he he had no choices then, but even then the things that he's saying and and he's not doing himself any favors. He's not winning over their opinions. He's just making matters worse for himself, but I did feel at least during the court martial what else is he going to do? You know, so, right. uh, but he was not very smart in this episode. How yeah. about all of the attention paid to Dingan and Cochise? Oh, thank you. I completely forgot about that. Even we had it later in our notes and I, I would have remembered when we got to that. Everything was good here. I, I wish there had been more of this. Um, I wish that we had had, I mean, look, I love the fact that they compared it to the Enigma machine. It's a perfect analogy, a perfect parallel to what, uh, to what we could have on our hands here. We talked yesterday or last week about how this, if they could get in on the issue of any communication, then that could 
be the, the, the last thing that they need in order to win the war. And that's exactly what the Enigma machine was for the Allies. When they, when they were able to, to, to get their hands on that and then crack the code, it was a, it was a great instrument for them. So I liked that. I liked that they brought in the, the parallel there between the Enigma machine and, and what they may have on their hands here. What, what, what did you think? I enjoyed all of the time spent on them as well. And I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with, the term Enigma machine. So that was really cool to learn about. Well, I'm taking but it for granted that people do. Would you like to enlighten folks on the Enigma machine for those who may I not? think you'd probably be a better source for that. You want to? Well, um, there's down? a recent movie about this. Do you remember what the movie was called? I just told you that I've never heard the term before this. Okay. Okay. Can you Google that up? Just uh, Google up Enigma Machine movie. Uh, it came out, I think, in 2014. And I'll, I'll kind of share what I know, and then you can kind of, uh, maybe you'll have that information um, while I blab. So the Enigma Machine, so during World War II, the, the Germans were using this really complicated encryption system to send, you know, their, their plans and their orders to their different, um, their different Groups, you know, around, around their positions in order to, to, to know what the plan was and what, how to maneuver and position and all that stuff. And it's, it's incredibly important information. It's their plans of, of what they're, what they're going to do. And they, they had these things called an Enigma machine, which if you knew the master key, but the master key changed like every day. Then, so you had to know a code in order to, and, and I could be a little bit off on some of this because it's been years since I've read up on this. Um, but, but if you knew the master key for that day or, or knew the code for the master key, then you could, then you could crack the master key that you, you could then use to decipher the, the ultimate code. So there was like multiple in, encryptions okay. going on here. And it was a physical machine. And, and so you kind of, I think it may have had these tumblers in there or something like that. So you had to, you had to know the encryption to decrypt the thing to decrypt the final code. And, um, the Americans were able to get their hands on an Enigma machine and then they put all their people, you know, they were, they, and they could hear the communications that the Germans were sending, but they didn't know what to do with them. They didn't know how to decrypt them. And, but so they put all their smartest people, their mathematicians and and cryptologists on this, trying to crack these codes. And, uh, you know, it was incredibly difficult and they were finally able to do it. And I don't know exactly the, the ultimate benefit that cracking the code had, like, like, was it like night and day? Then suddenly they were able to like, they had all that they needed or was it just one kind of one final nail in the coffin for their, for their their abilities to fight the Germans that I'm not quite sure of, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was basically a a massive uh, code decryptor, but you, you had to know the source code in order to be able to decrypt multiple layers to get to the ultimate code. Um, So yeah, basically a way of decrypting them, their communications. Very cool. Yeah. Did you find that movie? Uh, Is it the imitation game? That's it. That's it. I have not seen it. Have you seen it? I have not. My, my pastor, uh, went and saw and just raved on it. And, and cause he's really, he, he, he loves stuff like this too. History and, mm-hmm. and really high quality drama movies and stuff like that. And, uh, it's on my list, but I, I have not seen it. Yeah. It has Benedict Cumberbatch in it. That's right. That's right. Might have to check that out now. I, so often I don't go see movies because I just don't know what they're about. I mean, you hear all of these movies coming out. I'm just like, so what's this one about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, okay, that's very cool and very enlightening because it 
Oh, it's it's kind of nice because you can reference something without having to really go into details about what this particular unit is. So by Dingon just referencing it as an Enigma machine, it kind of solves a lot of the don't let this conversation drag on too long in this scene. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Yeah, and Mickey. So yeah, in, I mean that's uh, really that's a good analogy. Yeah, and Mickey in OKC, who's in our chat room right now, he says that the movie U571 was a movie about capturing an Enigma machine. And of course, as you said, The Imitation Game is a recent movie about um, cracking the code via the Enigma machine. So, Oh, okay. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Very um, cool. Um, yeah, I think the only my only complaint with those scenes is that they spent the entire episode just trying to remove it from mm-hmm. its spot. I mean, it, it took that all 45 minutes for them just to get it out of there. So that was my, that's you know my biggest complaint is that just everything just seems to take so long. Yeah. You know, and, and you and I spoke last week or theorized last week that perhaps Ben might be the one that would be able to do something because he has the spikes and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Obviously we didn't see any, any effort in that regard. It was a little bit surprising that even the Volm didn't seem to have an answer for how to move the thing without, you know, serious side effects. So what was Cochise's suggestion? <laughs> uh, something like a remember. pulley system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> and Dingon just laughs at him. No, no. <laughs> grips the thing and tries to pull it out. Yeah, although when I saw Dingon working on it, I thought, well, this makes, it makes sense why they would have left Dingon and Cochise behind to try to figure this thing out. Oh, for sure. And it seems like there were more than just them there because Mm -hmm. Weaver sends Matt back for reinforcements. Mm -hmm. So unless that means for Cochise to contact the Volm, (laughs) I'm not exactly sure. It didn't seem like they walked into the base with all 40 of them or whatever they are nowadays. It seemed like maybe it was 10 or 15 of them. That could be. That would make more sense. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm not sure. They may, may have just been there off camera or something like that. Yeah. And you know, so you mentioned you wish that they had shown the overlord a couple of times throughout the episode. And I went back and forth on this. Let's talk about the final scene. Sure. And, and I think we've got, we, we also want to talk about the Matt Weaver scene. But so the last scene was the overlord overlooking the, the base. And mm-hmm. with the, with, I look at, I, I read his expression to be a look of approval and then he kind of grimaced. And I think we've seen him, uh, make that face when he thinks about Tom. <laughs> so I think he was like <laughs> approving of what's going on. And then he thought about Tom and was like, I hate that guy. Um, to me, what's going on here is Captain Marshall is under complete control of the Ishvini. She is an Ishvini pawn. Now we got some word here that this had happened a few weeks ago. Um, she, she, got hit by a bullet or something and that's what caused the wound on her neck i watched the wound very very closely on my second watch of this episode when we first saw her there in the woods when when our boys are captured the wound just looks like like a scar not even like a scab like it Mm -hmm. looks like it was all skin to me Mm -hmm. and then the next scene was the same way. That's when they're actually in the compound and, and we were saying, no, you maintain control. I'll observe. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit later in the episode, uh, when she and Weaver are talking, 
you know, and she talks about, he asks her about it. It's just a slight cut, like a little, you can see, I think you can see in a line of a cut there. It's a little worse. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, we see her putting a bandage on it. And then by the end, it's like oozing blood. It's, it, I mean, she smears the blood on the paperwork. So it's getting progressively worse. It is. It's progressively getting worse throughout the entire episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's because it's, it's a, it's kind of a metaphor, if you will, of this internal struggle. Like something is in her going, no, I, I don't want to say these things. I don't want to make these decisions, but, but the, the Ishvini, whatever that's inside of her, you know, so it's, it's, it's a physical, manifestation of a of an internal battle that's going on within her and and so the more she tries to fight it the more it bleeds or something like that i don't know what we're supposed to take of this but i do believe that something happened a, a couple of weeks prior that caused her to be completely um at this point under the control of the ishvini and i think the ishvini saw the plans you remember the bug went back you know the bug that they had in the jar Mm-hmm. That they had that bit Tom went back. And so that bug, this is my theory, that bug took their intel, gave the overlords the heads up of what their plan was. The overlords came up with a, a counter plan, which was to head them off at the pass and have this plan in place where basically they can use the 14th Virginia to serve as judge, jury, and executioner of these people, of, of the Mason family. You notice it's only the Masons. That are, mm-hmm. that are on trial here and that's it. They'll take over the world. So that's kind of my long spiel of, I like of what I, what I got from that last, that last, um, shot. And it was a great shot. I'm glad we got the shot because I was kind of suspecting things as we went along, but mm-hmm. it was to me, it was still at this point, not enough to, 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 um, redeem this episode, if you will. No, definitely not. I think, I mean, I think you totally nailed it. I, I really like that theory, um, but there's like all along you could we could see that there was something going on with Captain Marshall. I, she would have those thousand yard stares, and and we were would like kind of snap her out of it. And it seemed like every time she, somebody agitated her, or every time Tom started fighting with her, that's when the wound started to get worse. And and like you said, it was like she was battling something internally. And whether or not she was like that, that wound is just a metaphor or if there's something just buried beneath the surface that she's trying to expel as she's fighting off these mental powers or whatever that the Shveni is (laughs) inflicting Mm -hmm. on her. I, I, I don't know, but I would be inclined to say that there is something physical inside of her, not just like, I don't know how else the Shveni mind meld with people right i don't think we've seen right yeah i think there's some some sort of physical entity inside of her right whether it's a fly or a worm it would certainly be new if it's embedded in her like that because we've only seen spikes and eye worms really for Mm -hmm. being able to control humans but yeah no very good points uh and it's on the neck i mean the same place we saw tom get bit earlier in the season yeah, but it it definitely seems to get worse when she's agitated. Yeah. And it's, it's it's always when people are challenging her direction. So whenever she puts uh when when she wants people to follow one course of action, 
that is clearly ridiculous, you know, in terms of a broader war plan. When she has to defend that, it seems like that's when it was being agitated. What I don't understand, though, is like the two times I'm thinking of in particular, uh, one when she confronts Tom and asks her or asks him why he's giving her men orders. Mm-hmm. And then also during the kangaroo court when he's, you know, defending himself. I don't get why Weaver comes to her defense like that. He He's like, okay, Tom, take it easy. Step back. Yeah, I thought that was odd too. Unless, like I said earlier, like Tom is he's not doing himself any favors, and maybe Weaver was able to see that more than Tom, and just like, hey, you're digging a hole, stop digging, you know, um, type of thing. Otherwise, I'm not sure either. Yeah, unless he he saw like martial law had been enacted, and he she was about to deliver the death penalty on him. But yeah, so. They've been they've been sentenced to death. So what happens? Does does Pope come in next week and save them? Oh my gosh! <laughs> this is the Pope question that Mickey Dornia, mentioned who have been earlier. For that, two episodes, yeah. <laughs> and Join the last forces. time we saw him, he wanted to kill the Masons. So does he come in and? Oh, that would be that would be um, what's the word? A ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, yes, that's it. <laughs> Perfectly ironic, yeah. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, know what role Pope is going to play here. Uh, so they've been sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they got to get out of this somehow. I mean, there's no way all three Mason boys are dying. That's just not going to happen. So the question is, how how are they going to get themselves out of it? And That's why they're introducing so many new characters is because they need people to take over for them <laughs> after they kill off all the Masons. Yes, that'll be a great way to end the series. Well, Almost all the Masons. Matt will survive. So instead yeah. of our theory that one Mason will die, it's actually all oh. but one Mason will die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess Maggie and Isabella is one option of how the rescue could come. And that would be fine. That, that seems mm-hmm. to make sense. Uh, a Pope and Anthony does not make sense. Nope. Um uh, uh, the Dornia would make sense. That would make sense. Well, uh, sort of. Sort of. It would yes. sort of make sense. Yeah. It would be. It would make sense for them to make an appearance again and give Tom a little bit of information. Yes. But they have not shown themselves at all, other than in Tom's vision. So maybe that doesn't quite right. make sense. And then, of course, there's Cochise and Dingon. They could. And Matt went to get them right. right. So that right. That, so Matt finding reinforcements, maybe mm-hmm. Cochise uh, getting some of his Volm buddies and. Yep. Coming to get them. So, yeah. yeah. They've got plenty of sense. options. Plenty of options to see what happens. Totally. They're yeah. not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but t- speaking of Matt and Weaver, let's talk about that scene because this was sure. another highlight of the episode for me. You, we've talked about it for very, for what, two, three seasons now. When we get uh-huh. Matt and Weaver together one on one, there's this great bond, this great relationship, great chemistry between these two actors and characters. And uh-huh. this was another example of it where, you know, Weaver's assigning Matt this really difficult task and just infusing confidence into him. You can do this. You've got this. Yeah. Here's exactly what you need to do and you're going to be able to do it. And I just loved that. Yeah. Weaver has such a great way with him. It's totally like Weaver's a favorite uncle or yeah. something because it's, I, I loved that scene last year with uh, when they meet those brothers in the woods on their way back from that concentration camp, that Nazi whatever camp and Yes. And Tom tells Matt, you know, some, even your blood won't be, won't always stick to you, but 
sometimes family doesn't mean blood, you know, something yeah. along those lines. So yeah. very much admitting that Weaver is totally part of the family. Yeah. And, you know, we had them chanting over and over again uh, at the end of last season when the fog worms were coming in and they were trapped, you know, it's not over until it's over. And, mm-hmm. um, that we, we heard them say that he brought that back again this week. And I just thought that's, that's really cool. You know, we've been through yeah. tough times together. We've trusted each other. We got through it. Let's do that again this time. We've been through way worse than this. Yeah. Yeah. So really cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Uh, last thing before we move on to listener feedback, maybe I found it interesting that, uh, okay. So the scene where the Masons are sitting in the chairs and if you're looking right above their heads, above the doorway it says don't give up the ship i thought that was nicely ironic Mm -hmm. definitely (laughs) i I didn't see that they're protecting themselves (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm glad you saw that all right anyway let's get into some feedback i i ended up watching it two hours later than i usually do and i was laughing because um, one of our followers on Twitter, Brooke, who actually will be our first feedback, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, was just making me laugh with some of her tweets, like totally saying exactly what I was thinking. So it was fun to interact with people that I don't usually interact with while watching live. Yeah. This is a super long for a reading one, but I loved this theory. So I thought we have to read it. Um, okay. So this comes in from Brooke, heretic, uh, heret, that's what it looks like. Heretic yes. Rick? Is that how you say that? Heretic? Heretic Rick. Yes. Okay. Apologies. Heretic Rick. Okay, here we go. Okay, I have a fan theory that is way out there given how little time we have left for the series. Here's how it goes. A long time ago in a galaxy quite not quite far enough away, the Ashveni evolved on their own homeworld. Being telepathic, their society developed fairly swiftly with minimal conflict. Understanding, compromise, and honesty comes pretty easily when you can touch your neighbor's brain. However, once they launch into space and start meeting other intelligent life forms, they hit a nasty roadblock. Turns out telepathy is very rare in the universe. Most other life forms communicate with noise, body language, and facial expressions, things the Ishveni never needed to develop. These differences made for many obstacles when Ishveni dealt with other races, even leading to war in some cases. In these early years, the Ashveni learned how to fight and how to lie to other races. Eventually, the Ashveni met another telepathic race, the Dornia. While dealing with non-telepathic races was a struggle for the Ashveni, the Dornia didn't seem to have any trouble at all. Other races greeted them with open arms, giving them anything they asked for. All it took was a handshake, and the Dornia had friends and allies for life. They never met a race of people they didn't like until they met the Ashveni. The Ashveni didn't what no other race ever did. They said no. The Dornia, the Ashveni finally figured out, had a sort of mind-numbing venom. Their handshake involved injecting the other person with this venom, which then made that person susceptible to their will. The Dornia's entire culture revolved around a contest of wills, with the weaker automatically following the will of the stronger. It was so ingrained in their way of life that diplomacy and compromise didn't exist. If they wanted something, they asked and had it given to them, until the Ashveni, whose telepathic abilities granted them immunity. The Dornia reacted to the Ashveni like a spoiled child told no for the first time, with a tantrum. Having no weapons or vehicles of their own, they simply asked the other races they'd met to kill the Ashveni for them. Everywhere they went, the Ashveni were attacked. 
old allies were easily turned against them once they met the Dornia. For thousands of years, war raged between the Ashveni and every other race in the galaxy. There's more, of course, but nothing I can fit into 3,000 characters. So anyway, this is the theory I've been working on and adapting to change in the story as it goes for the last year or so. I'm going to blame Ender's Game for my wholehearted desire for the Ashveni not to turn out to be a race of invading evil aliens. In this admittedly far-fetched version, the Ashveni aren't necessarily good, but they aren't evil either. They're doing what they have to to survive because they are literally the only race standing between the Dornia and total galaxy-wide domination. Wow. Right? That would be quite a turn of events if it turned out that the Dornia were the uh, ultimate bad guys and that the Ashveni would be were victims. shocking. Yeah. But I, I, I totally was thinking Ender's Game... I think I've I've mentioned that before, even like how the enemy on enemy on Ashfender enemy in Ender's Game didn't actually turn out to be like completely evil. It was a communication problem that the humans always had with them, uh, with the buggers. And I was totally thinking that the whole way through this. But that is that is a that would be a really cool twist. Do Do you think you'd be satisfied with the with an explanation like that? I don't know that I'd be satisfied with an explanation like that. I I love the theory. And I think if we yeah. had two or three more seasons to really flesh that out, then I might be okay with that because that turns everything on its, on its head mm-hmm. without much of a chance to really explore that. So for that reason alone, I don't think I like it, but I love it otherwise. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. Like from a storytelling perspective, it's awesome, but there are so, I mean, we've talked about this before, like, can the Ashveni at this stage be redeemed for all right. of the havoc right. they've wreaked? Yeah. And I don't, I mean, the only reason I say that it wouldn't be wholly satisfying is because every season it's just gotten worse. We've had, if they're, if they're truly out just to find a way to stop the Dornia, they obviously have no care for life itself in the process of doing that. So you would I don't know. I, I don't think I would I would like an explanation where the Ashveni are actually just trying to save the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but like, yeah, from from a theory perspective, it's awesome. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, we've got another feedback here from Dr. W. Hmm. Should have put on my TARDIS shirt for tonight. Um, he says or, or she greetings, Daryl and Emily. I'm a longtime listener of BerserkerCast and listened to two of Daryl's previous podcasts, Fringe and Revolution. First off, thanks so much for the cast. It's great. As I have listened to previous Berserker casts, I've often composed comments in my head, but I decided that maybe now is the time to commit them to email. I've watched Falling Skies since the start and have always liked it. It's far from my favorite show, but reliable entertainment. However, I think with this current season, Falling Skies has reached its use-by date, and I'm happy that this is the final season. The writers slash showrunners, some of whom I believe are new this year, seem to be out of ideas. It looks to me that they really only have one real plotline in them this season. That should be if the teaser film they ran at the San Diego Comic-Con Falling Skies panel I attended last month is any indication what the second mass finds when they get to DC. But for much of this season, the show has just been wandering around with some subpar stories. 
This past episode was just a case in point. I figured the Golden Lit Farm miraculously, and by that I mean preposterously, removed <laughs> from the war was some sort of alien test for Tom. Would he have been tempted to live there, set away entirely from the burdens of command and horrors of war, with the widow who so resembled his wife and ready-made family? Heck, they even hungered for his historical knowledge. But no, this was the actual story. Now, Falling Skies has had some narrative problems in the past. The Volm have been an inconsistent element in the show throughout and seem to exist primarily to serve as a quick solution to story problems, but I don't want to digress. However, the characters have remained pretty consistent over the years and are probably Falling Sky's best aspect until this year. Pope has long been my favorite character. He has served primarily as a foil and as an acidic commentator on Tom Mason's leadership, a necessary tonic to the hagiography of Tom that the show sometimes tends to do. Does that mean Pope's right? Rarely, but someone needs to make Tom think twice, especially after Weaver abdicated that role back in season two. But in order to create a non-Eshfeni enemy for Tom to deal with in the mid-season, Pope has been turned into a monster, not regressed into the old Pope. That Pope was amoral and nihilistic, to be sure, but also calculating and smart. Nope. New Pope is a slavering psychopath, massively cruel and driven solely by revenge. In my opinion, it's a disservice to once great character. Mm. Even more out of character is what's happening with Anthony. Until this year, he was a loyal and useful member of the Second Mass, a valuable lieutenant to Tom and Weaver. After the incident with the Overlord, he understandably chafed at the idea he be pulled from the line, but his ultimate reaction was way out of keeping with his character. Abandoning the Second Mass? That doesn't sound like Anthony. Worse yet, he bought into Pope's craziness with abducting and torturing Hal and stood by as Pope murdered, quote, non-essential personnel. Really? This sea change in Anthony's character is even more extreme and certainly more disturbing than what happened with Pope. It makes little sense to me. I can only hope it's revealed that he was acting under the agency of Ishvini control, but that was done prior and much better with Lourdes. Well, I've gone on enough, so I'll conclude here with the hope that Falling Skies gets its stuff together for the final four episodes and delivers a finale fitting to the show we've been watching for the past five years. Take care, Dr. W. And that came in before this week's episode. That's the reason it says four episodes remaining. There are now three. And I don't want to assume anything on Dr. W, but I would probably guess Dr. W doesn't feel any better after this week's episode. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) But a bunch of really great points. I loved this. Uh, New Pope is a slavering psychopath, massively cruel and driven solely by revenge. In my opinion, it's a disservice to once great character. Once a great. Yeah. I mean, uh, totally spot on. I think we even were talking about that, just how, even though we can understand that people can snap after something like this, it's just like, it's so disheartening to see that happen to a character that came so far over the course of four seasons. That's a long time to invest in someone to just have it ruined, like, oh, not ruined, but like have it all dismantled in pretty much an episode. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is very well put, very well spoken. Um, you know, I just, uh, we'll see what happens with Pope and, and Anthony. Uh, I, I completely agree with both of those statements. The strong, st- as strong as they were, it's frustrating too. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it so much already. We, we had, Pope had come so far and now he's way, just the pendulum has gone way back the other side further than it ever was before when he right. had made so much progress. Thank you, Dr. W. That was great. All right. Well, let's get into some audio feedback now. We've got three that we're going to play, but first we're going to hear from Jeff. This is Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11, calling in for Berserker Cast. I wanted to record a feedback since I wouldn't be able to be in the chat room for the live show. So I was just, I was blown away at the just the pushback that the second mass got when they got to the base. It was just amazing to see how much distrust there was. I mean, the second mass has gone, you know, and has never been greatly as militarized as, you know, maybe in the beginning a little bit more, but never as much as the Virginia group. And it was just wild to see. I could just see it coming, though. That was the hard part. I was like, okay, they're going to get taken in, and they're going to get in major trouble. And uh, you kind of want to hope for the best, and I think that's what Tom and the Second Mass were hoping for. But you just never, you have to have that guard up, I mean, after all those years. But... You know, it was just hard, and I'm wondering about the commander, um, if there's some type of technology or whatever that's making her distrustful, and uh, she seems to be bleeding when she uh, has confrontation going on, so that's just got me asking questions, but here's one thing that I was kind of disappointed on. They showed you know, in the, the previously on that they were at the whiskey distillery and then that they were on to Norfolk. Well, the disappointing fact is they were in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is at best three and a half hours from Norfolk. And yet it seems like they were making it seem a little bit closer if they're sending Matt back out on the motorcycle to go, you know, warn the others. So I just found it a little, I don't know, a little weird that they, you know, just made it seem like it was a little closer than it was, you know, just hop on the motorcycle and go tell them like it was going to be like an hour drive or something like that when it's, you know, a pretty grueling three and a half hours uh, on the highways at best. So I'm just wondering, you know, I, you know, I know they've only got so many episodes, but don't cheat on the distance. I mean, you took forever <laughs> to move out of, um, South Carolina and that area, you know, even in the North Carolina, but you know, just don't rush it. Um, so that's kind of a little frustration that I have, but I'm interested to see how it goes. But like I said, I saw a lot of Tonight coming. But it was good drama, but not really the drama I was looking for. Thanks. Looking forward to hearing what y'all have to say. 
This was not the drama he was looking for. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> well said. <laughs> I do know that reference. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I didn't think about the distance between where the distillery was from where they currently are. <sighs> thanks, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> I remember having this conversation many times with Fringe. Yeah. Was it Boston to New York that seemed to oh, take yeah. 20 minutes? Yeah, no problem. Boston <laughs> to New York. It's an easy commute. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. Sorry you weren't yeah, able thanks, to make Jeff. the live show tonight, but we do appreciate you sending in some feedback. Okay. Next, we have written feedback from Brian from the Walking Dead Talk Through podcast, another Golden Spiral Media podcast mm-hmm. um yeah and i just wanted to say brian we're sorry that we missed yours last week it was floating around on the interwebs but we did get this one so here we go this is brian from the walking dead talk through podcast with another apocalyptic review of falling skies hopefully you'll get this one as my feedback from last week cut lost in the interwebs i was pretty negative about last week's episode and gave it three ill-timed elective surgeries I agreed with Daryl last week, but I was even more sour on the episode. This time, I can't give it much a much higher rating. I give it five unnecessary court martials. The last two episodes have been very disappointing. The two before that, while entertaining, created some pretty inconsistent characterization with Pope, wiping out his character progression from that episode in season three when Pope and Tom were stuck in the forest after a plane crash. Mm. The actions of the 14th Virginia were way out of line, and I didn't believe them. Like last week... They've done it again and taken us away from the final battle. What's more, it looks like we'll also be sidetracked next week, since they'll have to undo everything that was done in this episode. Mm-hmm. What I want to see is the second mass preparing for battle, not this sophomoric story. Why aren't they showing us that story? Isn't that what we want to see? Also, and I'll say The Walking Dead can also suffer from this from time to time, is dropping stories for multiple episodes. They have dropped Pope vs. Tom storyline in the last two episodes. I think showing that conflict would have made a lot more sense, especially if Pope had been able to get to Norfolk before the second mass. The story would have been much more interesting if that had occurred. Also, why wasn't the captain swayed at all by Weaver? If she had those feelings about him, you'd think he would have a little bit more influence. Weaver didn't seem to argue their case, though, either. Uh, Enough, either. I mentioned in my last piece of feedback, but I think I can say it with more conviction. Since David Icke took over the showrunning duties for season four from Remy Abushan, uh, Falling Skies has gone downhill. At one time, the show was my second favorite current TV show behind The Walking Dead. Now it's fallen out of the top ten. I currently watch three other Sunday shows, and Falling Skies now ranks fourth out of four behind the last ship humans and the strain. If it wasn't the last season, I'm not sure I'd keep on watching. And that was from Brian. <laughs> I think I texted you at some point on Sunday night. I don't want to watch anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Yeah, you did. You did say that. And cause it, it, there was like 15 minutes to go. You said, and I said, well, the last scene is interesting, um, yeah. which it was. Yeah, yeah, that's really unfortunate. That really is, and and Brian certainly is echoing a lot of the, the sentiment that that we have had, and and you know many others have had. And I was thinking about it, my own perspective, 
this uh, earlier today because and and I, I didn't realize he had said this where where he said that if it wasn't the last season he wouldn't be watching anymore. I kind of had that same feeling about myself. I thought, you know, if this wasn't the last season, I might be looking at pod fading this podcast because I'm not enjoying the show right now. I'm mm-hmm. hoping that they pull themselves out of this hole. Yeah. I've definitely had that thought too, just asking myself, is this good enough that I'd keep watching? And I mean, if it was any other season, probably not, but because it's the last season, you just want to know how it ends at this point. Yeah. And I, and I, I actually, I'm, I'm pretty bad at putting down books that I just don't like. Like I will read every book that I pick up Mm -hmm. because it's a terrible habit. It's like, being forced to finish everything on your plate before you can leave the dinner table, you yeah, know, yeah. it's just like something that has been ingrained into me. I feel but like I actually dropped under the dome the the book with only like two chapters left to go because I was wow. just so bored. Wow, <laughs> I feel but, like I've uh, had a dramatic turn, like Pope. Like we we talked about how he just kind of came out of nowhere to to have such a drastic turn. That's, yeah. that's kind of how I feel. Like I went into the season going, all right. And now I'm just like, yeah, when's it going to, when's it going to end? And I hope that that changes. Yeah. I hope so badly that that changes. I know me too. And I, and I, it's not impossible for this show. I mean, it's not impossible to put up, pull out a wicked ending, but right. with so many bad episodes right in a row and not bad, sorry. So many ill-timed episodes right in a row even if the finale is good, I just have a feeling that we're going to look back on these episodes and be like, this, this season needed to be six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty bad. Which is pretty bad. Yeah. All right. Well, let's listen to some more audio. Now, Barb, this is Barb. Now, she said uh, earlier in our chat room that she had a silver lining she was going to throw our way. So. Oh, good. No pressure, Barb. I like. So here it is. Hello, Emily and Daryl. This is Barb calling in with feedback on this week's Epi of Falling Skies. Everybody has their reasons. I'm giving this Epi six feeding maggots. This was a tough Epi to watch and my lowest rated of the series. With now only three episodes left, I expect a bit more than dissing American servicemen, portraying Southerners as unintelligent, corny rednecks, and the gratuitous violence and torture scenes. Hello, we're supposed to be fighting aliens. And why was Hal still sporting that nasty-looking eye courtesy of Pope? Hal got that shiner at least 450 miles south of Norfolk, which had to be about 15, 20 days ago, depending on their foot or vintage car movement. Does he heal that slowly, or did they speed it up via a hornet ride compliments of Eris Feeney? As soon as I saw the cut on Captain Katie's neck, I thought that she'd likely been attacked by the same bug as Tom, but that she was under a Feeney control, and yep, sure enough, she was. But why was everyone else going along with her? Didn't they see how the cut grew and bled? Hadn't any of them ever watched Lost? Okay, (laughs) time to settle down. I liked that Matt was recording all the things the world should be after the war. I really enjoyed that father and son moment. Weaver cleaned up nice, but how mean for the writers to give him an old flame who is as Feeney controlled. Way to squash his poor heart again before this show finally ends. Degon and Cochise were great together, and I enjoyed watching Degon solve the problem of stealing the Esfini communication device. It made me disappointed that we didn't get more of Degon this season. He's a great actor and could have added so much more to the show. Maggie and Isabella as a team, they kicked posterior. But they should have tied that soldier up. He will eventually come, too. 
I'll call that a writer miss, since Maggie has shown herself smarter than that. While Weaver may have been look, while Weaver may have been made to look passive and a bit weak this epi, I think he actually had good insight to the total situation. The second mass was without their weapons, overpowered, and the troops were little more than lemmings for their leader. Weaver knew military procedure and how court martials worked, and wanted to ensure that he wasn't locked up with the others so that he can ultimately help them. Weaver knows Katie and her weak points, and he knows that she isn't all there. He got Matt out of camp to go get help. Weaver's a smart cookie, and I think we'll see the payoff on that next week. But that also means that we will be resolving this in the third-to-last epi, and with only two epis left for the big battle. That isn't a satisfying thought. I'm still more convinced now than ever that Tom is the human weapon, and he's going to die at series end. Now, Tom told the kangaroo court that history would judge them. So I looked up that quote and found one reference that seems appropriate. It's from a speech given by Robert F. Kennedy on October 6, 1966, to students at the University of California at Berkeley. Emily, this is for you, and this is my sign-off for tonight. You live in the most privileged nation on earth. You are the most privileged citizens of that privileged nation, for you have been given the opportunity to study and learn to take your place among the tiny minority of the world's educated men and women. By coming to this school, you have been lifted onto a tiny sunlit island, while all around you lies an ocean of human misery, injustice, violence, and fear. You can use your enormous privilege and opportunity to seek purely private pleasure and gain. But history will judge you, and as the years pass, you will ultimately judge yourself on the extent to which you have used your gifts to enrich the lives of your fellow man in your hands, not with presidents or leaders, is the future of your world and the fulfillment of the best qualities of your own spirit. <sighs> I haven't heard that in a while. Well, what do you think? She always covers so much stuff. I'm like, I like latch onto one thing mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then she moves on. But man, I, I love the way that she articulates some of those things. And I love the, the speech at the end too. And you know, we didn't get into a lot about democracy in America. I'll, I'll write about it in the blog post, but just so many things about this are, are troubling just from a watching a nation from its infancy. How, you know, like America is so unique in that it developed for history to watch and record. And the reason that democracy in America is so impactful is because he takes those observations and really wraps them up in a way that you can understand them from a, not just from a historian perspective, but from a sociological perspective. So a lot of very good stuff in there, Barb. Thank you for that. Yeah, and I'll disagree with her just ever so slightly in that I do think that there is enough time with three episodes left and really two episodes, as she pointed out, because next week is probably just going to be resolving this current issue that leaves two episodes left for a big final battle. I do think that there, that is enough room for a big final battle, but what I was anticipating is, is, 
you know, an episode or, or two of getting there, strategizing. You remember when they were going to take down the power grid? You know, there was that, mm-hmm. there was all that planning and then the, the, you know, uh, executing of the plan. That's kind of what I thought that we would get here where it looks like they're just going to show up and, and go at it, I guess. I don't know. So. <laughs> well, now that they have the Enigma machine, this war is going to be in hand. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Barb. All right. Let's uh, take this one from Justina. She says, hi, Daryl and Emily. The show is getting really intense as we head toward the finale. My rating, 9 out of 10 alien headaches. Yeah, nice high score there. Number one, I already said Maggie is my favorite character, and she was awesome in this episode, both in her fighting skills and her ability to rise above jealousy or petty things with Isabella. Indeed. Number two, I have metal screws in my spine, so when they were torturing Ben, I was writhing in empathy on my couch. I had trouble with that part. I'm thankful they did not get them all because the second mass will need every advantage in the battle ahead, not to mention pulling them out that way could have killed him and made Barb's predictions come to pass. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Number three, Captain Katie is being controlled by an overlord through an alien bug bite. So we have been shown that Tom is being influenced by the Dornia, but he has also been bitten by an alien bug. I thought he was going to Fayetteville because himself and Weaver saw it as the next logical step. But what if there is an overlord pulling Tom's strings as well and drew him to the base to capture him and cut off the head of the Mason militia before it can make trouble in Washington, D.C.? Weaver is under no mind control, but does not notice going to Fayetteville as a ploy because it seems like the logical step. That's my theory. Number four. Matt will come through. I know a Mason may die in this fight, but all the Masons, I don't think so. (laughs) And number five, where is Pope? I hope he comes to his senses, decides Tom is not so bad, and they team up. You're trying to save the planet, man. Let's work together. (laughs) Have a great week, Justina. Her theory seemed really close to the one that you threw down. Yeah, and I kind of like hers a little bit better that Tom might have been led to Fayetteville because of the bug bite where my theory was that the bug that bit Tom mm-hmm. overheard their plans. And that's how the, the overlord was able to be waiting for them. Uh, after that, I think they're pretty much the same theory. Um, right. but hers seems to be a little bit more seamless than mine does. So I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, I think both are completely plausible. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's really just a matter of, <laughs> of, uh, what actually? I think the curtain pulled back to happened. find out the truth. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, Justina. Thank you. All right, we have one more feedback for this week. It comes in from Judy in Worcester. I mean Worcester. Hey, Daryl, Emily, and all you berserkers. This is Judgy Judy, the Polish blonde in Worcester. Get it right, Daryl. And I'm putting in my two cents on everyone has their reasons. Believe me. I have my reasons. This was a good episode, but only good. I gave it a six. Ding on, why the heck are you touching that thing again? Exclamations. This one I scored low because of all the times that I had to stop and think, why the heck are you doing that? Or why the heck are you lying? It just seemed out of character for these guys. 
I mean, initially I thought, well, maybe they were picking up on some hinky vibe off of Weaver's old flame there. Maybe, but it didn't seem that they were true to that. You know, they just seemed to relax too quickly with these people. Do they not remember what happened in Charleston? They really weren't welcomed with open arms as soldiers. They had to fight their way out of that. Matter of fact, I think they had a max exodus, and it wasn't until they came back the second time that, until they were welcomed. But at least in that scenario, Tom ended up being president. You know, they should have been, you know, something should have told them, with that base running all that power, I mean, a base like that has one hefty electric bill. And I'm sorry, no amount of generators is going to provide that, it, even for a year. I mean, the Waltons last week, they were three years plus running their generators. Granted, Grandpa was a hoarder, but seriously, that, you know, that's a lot more. And it isn't like they have wind turbines sticking up. Oh, big clue, a Shvenny strike here. It's just my thought, you know. For the rest of the episode, I mean, just just little thing upon little thing upon little thing that struck you wrong. And boy, were we right that everything was wrong. The only thing I have to say about the rest of it is, dang, Matt has some skills on that motorbike for an 11-year-old. My whole real point, actually, for sending in this feedback is to put on record what I think will happen in next week's episode. I think this happened to be predictable, so I think I can predict exactly what's going to happen in next week's episode. I think that Dingon and Cochise are going to make it just in time to save the Masons from that firing squad. They will capture the Overlord and use his telepathic link while active to destroy the Ishveni communication systems, which backlashes onto any human who is under their control, including Captain, I'm in love with you, Dan. This is what's going to enable the second mass in the series finale to go walk in on Washington, D.C. and mop up the rest of the Ishveni mess. I think after this, we're really not going to see too much anything big, you know, or exciting or drama. I just, I just don't see it, you know. The big in the drama, which may happen, is lots of explosions with copious amounts of C4 and maybe a tank or two from the Norfolk base that they seem to be very, very well equipped. Anyway, that's my two cents worth. Next week, it may be a heck of a lot less in value, but you never know. I think I'm gonna pretty much going to be close to what is actually going to happen. But here, you know, they may surprise me. So this is Chuchy Judy, the Polish blonde in Worcester, and I'll see you on the flip side. Did she say Worcester? I think so. I thought it was Worcester. <laughs> Or Worcester. Okay, I want to say that if her theory comes out to be true, I would I would actually love that, and I think that would provide the kind of drama that we're looking for too. Not, I mean, not just like drama that makes us excited or makes our heart pounds fast, but the drama that actually leads us into Washington D.C. 
The theory she laid down would, would, would balance out the resolve of what happened at the end of this last episode and what absolutely needs to happen leading into the final two. Yeah, and it would it would give uh, Weaver a little cuddle bunny for the post war scenario. Wait, did 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 she say it would kill any of the humans that are being controlled, or it would release it would release them, them. them? Yes, release them. Yes, okay. yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing her die. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, I don't. I, I, I awesome. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I think it would be nice to have Weaver happy in. That's yeah. my only reason for caring for her. But is not for with him. Jan Levinson Gould. Just. <laughs> All right. Well, some great feedback this week. <laughs> Very good. I love uh, that. Thank yeah. you so much. Well, we want to hear from you next week. The number is 304-837-2278. That'll get you to the Golden Spiral Media voice feedback line where you can leave a message or you can go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback where you can typey typey out an email. Send it right over to us. Attach a pre-recorded audio file or take advantage of our SpeakPipe widget, which allows you to use your computer or phone, if you're on your mobile phone, uh, to record a contribution. It'll send it right over to us. Like the magic of the interwebs. A little, what'll happen is a little alien bug will take your message and it'll fly it over to us and it'll plant it into Emily's ear. It's the coolest thing. That's what's been buzzing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you ready for some Twitter poll action? Let's get some Twitter on, eh? All right, so the question this week, I had to hit up Daryl for a suggestion because everything I was thinking of was like, how much did you hate this episode? (laughs) What was the most unnecessary scene? (laughs) And so he gave me this one. Will the second mass find an eventual ally in the 14th Virginia? And let's see, we get uh, one from David Coffey. Yes, the Next episode, if, uh, in the next episode, a freighter will pull in and have the unlikely help they need. <laughs> Hashtag meet Kevin Johnson. <laughs> it'll end up being, uh, I was going to say Lourdes. No, it'll end up being Lexi. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, my gosh. I thought you were dead. Uh, Tangier 14 says, I hope not. Not convinced these guys have the guts to fight a real enemy. <laughs> probably right there jovial falcon says absolutely the 14th will fear the hurricanara 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 i don't know what that word is actually hurricane finisher from maggie mm-hmm. i think that's a wrestling that might be a, a wrestling term is that right jovial falcon he's in the he is in the uh, room of chatting Okay, you monitor that. And finally, Justina says, yes, if they can rid them of mind control bugs and meddling overlords. Yes, that is pretty much the deciding factor, yeah, isn't it? Definitely so. definitely so. All right. Well, we want you to give us your answer to next week's BC Twit question. So follow us on Twitter at GSM Podcasts. We'll tweet that out on Monday and use the hashtag BC Twit and we'll include your response in next week's episode. Uh, Jovial Falcon says, it's a famous wrestling move, Hurricarana. Hurricarana. Yeah, Hurricarana. Yeah. Oh, it's what Maggie used on the guy when she, yeah, she did that cool, like, leg sweep thing by the head. kind of, yeah, yeah. Now, now that he says it, it kind of did look like a hurricane yeah. move. <laughs> yeah. 
That's cool. Awesome. Well, speaking of next week, uh, next week's episode directed by Mr. Noel Wiley is called Stalag 14th, Virginia. Yeah. All right. Well, we have another, I don't know, every point at this point, episodes are redeeming the season. Every episode now has to redeem the season. Yeah. What'd you say? Yeah. Yeah. We're running out of episodes to, to find redemption. So yes, I do agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Well, but we have faith. We're going to stick with this till the end. Mm-hmm. Hope you guys do as well. Sorry if this got a little bit too negative, but you know, we're trying to, we're trying to still find the bits and pieces of the show that make it what we've liked from the beginning. And in every episode, I'm surprised. I'm, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I like the episode better than I did when I came into it, but I certainly have a more, positive attitude about it you know nothing has changed but i feel more reassured that this show has the potential to pick itself back up and give us the drama we're looking for so yeah here's hoping yeah our negativity i think is because we love the show so much and we we want more Mm -hmm. out of it so hopefully next week will give us that hopefully you'll join us next week uh, the deadline for sending in feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday and join us for the live show at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. And I think that's going to bring us to a close. So I think so. Until next time, I think I'm going to go practice the uh, Hurricana, Hurry, Hurry Karana, Harry Karana, Harry Carey move on my kids and try not to kill them. That was a long sign off. Right. I think I'm going to go put some maggots in this wound here (laughs) on my side. (laughs) 